I was meditating tonight and something odd happened. I began by focusing on the breath, then moved my focus to the third eye. At the end of the meditation, I touched my third eye for who knows what reason, and I started to weep. It was like pushing a button that turned the power on or something. Something came alive and burst out of me. I'm curious as to why that would happen. Typically, when we think of tears, we tend to think of tears in one of two reasons. Either I'm very sad or I'm very happy. So most of the time we cry due to sadness, but also we know we have the possibility to have tears of joy. But there's also a third type of tears, and those are tears of the truth. Those are tears of touching the truth. Most of us, when we think of truth, think of just something we speak. Is that true or is that a lie? The truth is sort of the opposite of untruth or dishonesty. But the truth is actually more than that. And there's a, a presence to the truth that very frequently leads to really powerful responses. Sometimes it's tears. Sometimes it's laughter. Sometimes it's just incredible, blissful silence. But when you touch a real truth, especially if it's been something that you've been kind of running from or hiding from or blocking yourself from, it has an absolute presence to it. And when that happens, tears are a very, a very natural thing to expect. And so touching the third eye, well, the third eye is the eye, the Agya Chakra, the, the eye here between the eyebrows where we put our, our tilak or bindi, is the eye of truth. It's the eye of discrimination, the chakra, the energy center of discrimination. But not, not discrimination in the negative way that most of us think of it. Not discrimination as in, oh, you're pretty, you're ugly, you're black, you're white, I like you, I don't like you. But the real power of discrimination, of seeing the truth. And so the reason that we focus on our third eye, the reason that so many meditations are focused on it, the reason that we, we worship those with the third eye open, and so many of the, you know, the mantras, especially that are focused on Lord Shiva, refer to the, the three eyes. Well, because that's the eye that enables us to see the divine. These two eyes see physical form. 
So literally what I see is I see fat and thin and black and white and pretty or ugly or tall or short, friend or foe if I go a little deeper. But they see separation. These two eyes function literally based on light, movement, angle. If you study the science of perception and literally how the eye works, it works based on light, movement, angle, depth, all of which can only happen in separation. I can only measure the angle of where you are between these two eyes if you're far enough away from me to be able to do it. Anybody ever try to take a picture of something that's a little too close up? Right? The camera, even with the autofocus, unless you've got a special lens, the camera can't do it. You've actually got to move the object or move the camera farther away in order to get a clear picture. Similarly, with just our eyes. Try to read something up like this, you can't. And as you get older, it has to get farther and farther and farther and farther. I remember someone telling me years ago that I would know when I needed glasses because my arm got too short. <laughs> so these, these eyes function based on holding an object at an angle, but it has to be a certain distance. So they function literally in separation. It's great for reading things. It's great for driving cars. It's great for making sure you don't stumble over tripods or tables or chairs as you move through a room. But it's not the truth of our existence. The truth is oneness. And so this eye, the third eye, is the eye that we focus on to show us the truth. This is why we put the tilak on every day. It's not contrary to popular belief, just sort of Indians' makeup. You know, I mean, now these days you can get ones in every color and they're stickers and, you know, maybe with little rhinestones on them. But the point of it is not actually just a meta. Uh, a makeup accessory. The reason that we do it is to remind ourselves, oh God, and we do it after morning prayers usually, oh God, remind me today as I go forth into the world, let me not just use these two eyes, but let me remember I have a third eye. And please open it. And actually, the traditional, like what I use, the, the kumkum, a lot of the traditional powders that are made, whether the red ones or the orange ones, whether they're made from sandalwood, whatever it's made from, it's actually made in such a way that when you mix it with water and you put it on, it goes on wet. And as it dries, there's an ever so slight, almost imperceptible, pull on the skin, you know, it's like if you've ever used a face mask, you know, it goes on wet, but by the time the face mask dries, your whole face is kind of pulled together. Well, in a much, much smaller way, as this dries, it 
it pulls the skin together and very, very subtly triggers the receptors in this area, very, very subtly triggers that area, which is actually what the whole thing is about. So this eye enables us to see the truth. So having it open, whether by touch, whether by meditation, whether by focus, whether by the grace of a guru, whatever it may be, tears are not an unexpected outcome. You're in the presence of truth. And that's the truth that sees the divine, remember. It's not a truth of separation. It's a truth of oneness. And so it's the, oh my God, oh my God. All of that which I had thought about myself, all of the ways I had judged myself, holding myself at an arm's length, you're too tall, you're too thin, you're too fat, you're too th black, you're too white, you're too short. Whatever it may be that I've used to judge myself at this arm's length, you're stupid. Suddenly, as that third eye opens, I'm divine. And that experience, it's not, it's not an intellectual experience. The eyes see, we know. You don't need necessarily the intellectual brain to process something. If you're walking down the street and a car comes whizzing by, you're going to jump out of the way long before your intellectual thinking brain says, hmm, I wonder what the velocity of that car is. I wonder how far I am from the curb, I wonder how quickly I'm going to have to jump. You're on the curb long before your brain has registered a thought. Our eyes see it, it happens. In the same way this eye sees it, it happens. So it's not it opens and then the intellectual brain says, wow, that's very interesting. Hmm. I guess I'm divine. Okay, let's think about that. It's not, it's not that. It's the open eye awareness of who you are. And yeah, it could make you cry. Of joy, yes, but also of something, interestingly, that's deeper than joy which is just truth. Truth becomes a field in which joy can exist. But it's not dependent on joy. Truth is the deeper experience. You can't have joy without truth. As anyone who has tried to use alcohol or drugs or one-night stands or whatever we've tried to do to bring joy in a way that's not in alignment with truth doesn't work. So, so truth has to be the, the field, the foundation. So yeah, there may also be tears of joy. There may also be tears of sadness of the sheer number of years you've wasted. But regardless of the 
the balance of tears of joy and tears of sadness, there's going to be tears of truth. Because truth is what underlies it all. And that's an incredible place to be, is to just sit in the awareness of truth. And whether you cry, whether you laugh, because sometimes that happens too. You know, you're having, you're having a conversation with someone. In psychology, it happens a lot where, you know, you're talking to someone about something and you're kind of working on an insight. What's, what's at the core here? And what you find is when you actually get to that aha moment of, oh my God, this is what's been going on all the time. Oh my God, this. There's a, there's a laughter. It's not the nervous laughter of running from truth. It's a completely different laughter. It's not the laughter of a good joke. It's not the laughter of making light of a situation. But it's the laughter of being in the presence of truth. It's the, oh my God. I remember when I was back in California in the the one semester that Pooja Swamiji insisted I go back and do after I had been here and after I had known I wanted to stay, but he, he made me go back. Different story, I won't go into it tonight, but I found myself back, back in the midst of a PhD program for a semester. And during the course of that time, so many people, would say, oh, you're making a horrible mistake, you know, don't go back to India, first finish everything, get your degree, get yourself settled, then you want to take a year or two and, you know, go on a humanitarian expedition, sure, you want to go for a spiritual retreat, sure, but first get yourself all settled. And so I went through many, many weeks of this, this drama of pretending to make a decision. And I, I remember so vividly sitting with a woman who is still one of my best friends in the world, a dear, dear, dear mentor, much older than I am and just an incredibly wise spiritual woman. And I was talking to her about this, this decision that I was trying to make. And she looked at me and she said, when I look at you, she said, I see a woman in India. She said, that's the truth. You're there. She said, you're not making any decision. You're, you have already arrived in India because I can see it before my eyes. She said, as far as I can tell, the only decision you need to make is whether you're going to spend the next six weeks going through the drama of pretending to make a decision that's already been made, or are you going to spend six weeks getting your stuff in storage, figuring out the logistics of what it's going to be like to move off to India, and at least be productive. She said, that's the only decision I can see for you to make. And I burst out laughing. It was the most glorious moment of, wow, yes, exactly, thank you. And it was, it was laughter, and then it was silence, because there really was 
not much left to say. The truth, the truth is so all-pervasive when you sit in its presence that it can pull out of you emotion, tears, laughter. But at the root of all of that is silence. Because there's no, no longer anywhere to go or anything to do or anything to figure out. You're just there. So if that's happened, as the asker of this question had the experience, stick with that. Don't overanalyze it too much. Because that brings it back into your thinking brain, which functions in separation. Allow it to stay. And whenever you find that you might be drifting, touch it again. Or bring the awareness back to it. Or meditate on it again. Keep that eye 